First cousins are the children of siblings. Everyone knows that. Second cousins are the grandchildren of siblings. And you probably only see them occasionally. But third cousins, third cousins are the grandchildren of first cousins, which is to say they're basically strangers. And on the first Zoom call that I organized last year, I had third, fourth, and fifth cousins, and not a single person knew everyone else, or frankly, had ever even heard of most of the others. Nevertheless, we started planning a meeting in person at a private club in New York State for next summer, and then I started this podcast, which ruined everything. But now, we have a new plan a new location, a new date, and a new name for this once-in-a-lifetime event. Keep listening to find out more about the Marble House meeting. Welcome to Relative Strangers, a podcast all about the descendants of one couple, both born into well-to-do families in New York City in the 1820s, and my efforts to bring them all together in person in June of 2024. My name is Taylor Molly, and I'm a poet and a connector. For instance, I'm the class agent for my high school graduating class, which celebrated their 40th reunion earlier this year in 2023. And as a way to build excitement and engagement for that event, I started a podcast called 83 Dutchman, and it was a wild success. I interviewed a different classmate each month about what they'd been doing for 40 years. So when the descendants of John Taylor Johnston and Francis Collis decided that it might be fun or a disaster to meet in person in June of next year, of course I thought that a new podcast, the one you're listening to right now, would be a great way to build excitement. But as it turns out, I was only half right. This is episode five, The Marble House Meeting. Relative Strangers is sponsored by FamilyTreeChart.com, and you'll hear me sing their praises in the middle of this episode. All right, here's the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'd like to start by thanking everyone who has written to me, both family members and normal people, after episode four, which was called One Skeleton at a Time. In my poem which I recited in that episode, called Some Family Secrets from 1950, a few of my family members recognized some of my references to actual real-life secrets and scandals from their own branches of the family. One cousin said that she felt 1950 was a little too recent for me to cavalierly reveal carefully kept family secrets. But then she realized, since I said half the secrets in the poem were made up and half were based on whispered rumors, that if she just kept quiet, the secret would be safe. Thanks, too, to the cousins who have responded to something I suggested in an even earlier episode. I reported that the three other branches of the family may have felt that Emily's branch looked down upon the rest of us. Remember, Emily was, in my mind at least, the perfect oldest Marsha Brady sister who married the formidable Robert Weeks de Forest. 
cousin Robert Easton, who is a descendant of Emily, essentially said, we didn't look down on you. We just never knew you existed. Another cousin said, I was probably right because her grandmother had always told her, never forget that you are a DeForest. Notice she didn't say, never forget you are a Johnston. Incidentally, I can't remember my grandmother ever saying, never forget you are a Molly. I think this might have been the same grandmother who, upon finding the portrait of Emily and Robert, temporarily not on display in the American wing of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which they paid for, made a huge stink about it and demanded that some poor associate curator take her and her granddaughter, who was torn between pride and shame, downstairs to see the portrait in the archives or wherever. And speaking of making outrageous demands on the staff of the Metropolitan Museum, I am so happy to announce that they have agreed to host the kickoff event of our reunion weekend, which will be a cocktail reception on Thursday, June 27th of 2024. I figured since I was kind of responsible for ruining the first plan to meet up in the Adirondacks, that I should develop the replacement plan. It's going to be called the Marble House Meeting, named after the white marble townhouse that John Taylor Johnston built in the 1860s at the corner of 8th Street and 5th Avenue. And it will be over the last weekend in June. I'm not arranging lodging for anyone, so you'll have to rely on your friends and family who already live in New York City or book an Airbnb. A deposit has been paid on a space called the Terrace Room, which can accommodate 50 people. If we have more than 50 cousins who want to start their weekend with us, and I think we will, then they can bump us up to the Patrons Lounge, which has double the capacity and will be double the price. But fear not, because officially, the Thursday evening reception at the Met will cost each cousin who attends nothing. That's right. Officially, the entire expense of the reception, which involves two hours of open bar and tasty appetizers, will be picked up by me and a growing handful of folks that I call the backstop cousins. These are the cousins who perhaps benefited most from the unequal distribution of the family's wealth, luck, intelligence, real estate, and good looks. Some are in for $1,000, while others have agreed to split whatever is left. When you officially RSVP, I will unofficially ask you, if you would like to join me and the other backstop cousins. No pressure, it's already going to be an expensive weekend. More on that in a little bit. I have also received some feedback from several listeners who are not family members, but who are completely hooked and quote, cannot look away as one listener confessed. Another said, I find myself both rooting for your family to have this incredible reunion and also strangely grateful that as a non-family member, I don't have to attend. One of them observed, however, that the way I talk about multi-generational reunions makes it sound like I think 
every family has a long history of such gatherings. And I will act on that note because I definitely do not think that. I get so caught up in trying to explain the ridiculousness of this project, which is nothing less than a family reunion among the descendants of a couple born 200 years ago, that I forget that when most people say family reunion, they mean the descendants of grandparents born maybe 90 years ago. And those are hard enough to pull off even once a year. Even though it's just three generations and maybe a couple of babies, those reunions can be fraught and complicated and dramatic and uncomfortable. There's a story from my side of the family about one of my aunts, who shall remain nameless, going after the catering staff in the kitchen with a chef's knife at one of these reunions. To get to the next level, at least one of the grandparents, and they don't have to be alive, has to invite their siblings, who also don't have to be alive, and all of their descendants, who really do need to be alive in order to attend. My mother's side of the family has those kinds of reunions, but they only happen every couple of years. And they wouldn't happen at all if it weren't for a family philanthropic foundation that sort of binds the extended family together. The Relative Strangers Project, however, is reaching back one generation further than that. When I come back after the break, I'll review who has been invited to this gathering, which is so ridiculous that it's no wonder I've never heard of any other family doing it. Relative Strangers is sponsored by one company, FamilyTreeChart.com. This is the company whose online editing tool helped me make the radial family chart that I refer to several times a week to track how we're all related. My copy is 36 inches wide, and it looks at first like a bullseye, with John Taylor Johnston and Francis Collis at the center, and all their descendants in concentric generational rings going outward, each one containing more people than the rings they circumscribe, like ripples in a pond stretching outward toward the banks. It took me about a year to make sure I had everyone, and the most recent additions babies born earlier this year are my, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, third cousins three times removed. FamilyTreeChart.com makes all kinds of charts. Go poke around their website, and if you want to start building a chart of your own, use the promo code METROPOLITAN to get 10% off your first order. This is Relative Strangers. I'm Taylor Molly. And it's time to review the invitations to the Marble House meeting next June. The couple at the center of this project, Francis Collis and John Taylor Johnston, who built and lived in Marble House, and from whom all my relative strangers descend. Of course they've been invited, but they send their regrets because they died 130 years ago. All five of their children, the three daughters that I'm always comparing to the Brady Bunch girls, and the two sons, are also long dead. By the way, I have located and ordered the death certificate of the mysterious 
Collis Johnston, the oldest son who might have been gay and died childless at age 33 in 1886. I also may write a science fiction musical about him, but more on that in a future episode. The four surviving children, Emily, Francis, Eva, and their brother, John Herbert, had 13 children between them, and all of those children are dead. In the next generation, there were 34 children. Actually, I discovered that there were 35, but I'm not free to talk about that cousin yet. And anyway, as of two years ago, all of them have died. Which means that the oldest living relative strangers to be invited to next summer's Marble House meeting are all the members of the next generation, the 80 great, great, grandchildren, which is my generation, which I have called the yellow ring on my chart. At 58 years old, I am actually the second youngest member of this yellow generation. There's a pink generational ring surrounding the yellow one that contains all of our children, if we have them, some of whom are older than me because that's what happens after a hundred years. And there's a growing blue ring after the pink one that contains our grandchildren, if we have them. And then, outside the blue ring, on the outermost edge, in the smallest writing, there are even about 10 names that are beginning to populate what will one day become the next generational ring. But so far, only Emily has descendants in that generation. So that's everyone who is invited to join us at the Metropolitan Museum on Thursday, June 27th of next summer to kick off the Marble House meeting. It's probably 250 living relatives and almost as many dead ones. There will be a picnic lunch at the Greenwood Cemetery on Saturday, where I will open up the two family mausoleums to which I have keys. There will be another gathering where we will crack open the metal steamer trunk of Cousin Trip Stowell that we've been calling the Trunk of Mystery. This is a trunk he's had that's been locked for over 75 years because his father lost the key and didn't want to damage the trunk trying to break into it. It could be filled with gold bars or moldy linens, old family photographs, or Civil War-era pistols. No one knows. We're just going to get a little tipsy, start the video cameras, and live stream us breaking into it to see what we find. What else will the weekend entail? We haven't decided yet. Would you like to visit the archives of the Met to view the papers of John Taylor Johnston, including the guest book signed by a 10-year-old kid named Teddy Roosevelt? Would you like to go on a walking tour of Washington Square to see where Marble House once stood? Would you like to knock on the door of number seven Washington Square North, where John Taylor Johnston grew up as a boy, which now belongs to NYU? Please go RSVP to the weekend officially. I sent you the link in the last email that I sent the family. And tell us what you'd like to have happen while you're here, or what you'd be willing to arrange for the rest of us. I have two final comments to close out this episode. 
The first is that the Brady Bunch references that I use as a shorthand for remembering the three Johnston daughters doesn't really work for their brothers because there were only ever two of them, the mysterious Collis, who died in his 30s without having children and might have been gay. I say might because I'm a poet and my mind automatically invents backstories in the absence of facts. And John Herbert Johnston, who had only one daughter, which is why no one in the family still has the last name Johnston. Those four surviving siblings all have descendants who are alive today, and I hope we will have representatives from each of those branches of the family. The second and final note is this. The special episode that I wanted to have on adoption, and there are about a dozen members of the family who were adopted, in one case from another member of the family who didn't feel as a man in the late 1930s that anybody could expect him to raise two young children. He had to go off and start other families, for God's sake. That episode might not happen at all. For one thing, I made no special notation on the chart of who was adopted and who was not, because I didn't want it to look like I was qualifying their membership in the family with an asterisk after their name, like some sort of scarlet letter. It's a shame because most of these adopted members of the family probably don't know about the others, or else they think their adoption story is not juicy enough for public consumption. But in a last-ditch effort to organize a future episode centered on all the adopted members of the family, I asked my only first cousin on this side of the family, Adam Molly, who my siblings and I feel we were kept apart from when we were younger, to talk a little bit about his adoption story and whether he feels excluded when I talk about DNA. Early on, I used to say things like, oh, this Scottish frugality is riven into our DNA. And one of our cousins who is adopted sort of took me to task for that and said, when you talk about DNA, I feel like you're not talking about me. So I, so I stopped mentioning DNA. Anyway, here's a voice memo that was sent to me by Adam Molly. So, hey, Taylor, I am going to try and answer your question as uh, concisely as possible. I can speak to my experience being adopted. I can also speak to what it was like to be included in this family, which was a bit mind-boggling at the time. The more I learned, the more I realized how extensive it was and had such an amazing history and I was actually privileged to be a part of it. Uh, I was adopted when I was, uh, I think, about five years old. Um, My mother had met your uncle and my father in in strange circumstances, uh, which I can delve into if you would like. That was another uh, level or layer of complexity in the whole process. Um, But however, they did fall in love and it was genuine and uh, they married and uh, he felt 
very strongly uh, that he wanted to adopt me, and and I felt the same. Um, and from that point forward, I identified Derek as as my father, uh, and and still do. Um, and it was just kind of a introduction into a world that I had no idea <laughs> what it was like. I remember thinking going to 69th Street and seeing our grandparents and um, getting to know them as, as my grandparents. And um, our grandmother was extremely kind uh, and welcoming. And, and I never forgot that. Um, but I was obviously amazed that, that this house and the history and the magnificence of it. And um, I remember eating family meals and, and I got to sit next to um, Kay and, and it was great. I mean, she treated me as a grandson. So the only point I would differ with you uh, in your most kind introduction was uh, DNA. I, I kind of feel like the DNA component is valid. I, it doesn't necessarily have to be a biological function. Uh, it's something that over time and exposure and uh, connection becomes part of it. And I feel the Mali DNA is, is definitely part of me. Um, and I'm also happy that my children will be uh, carrying on the, the Molly name. Um, but I hope they keep it because <laughs> I have two daughters. But I want them to know where they come, where they come from as well. I love that you can hear in the background all the way from Northern California the sound of Adam's dogs barking. Or is that just one very vocal dog? Perhaps hungry for dinner? Because I may not have told you that, but Adam is an executive chef. I love, too, that Adam feels we actually do share DNA by dint of sheer proximity. That is the kind of scientific explanation that even a poet can appreciate. Incidentally, when Adam talks about our grandfather, he means Henry Julian Molly, who grew up in Marble House himself, but never got to meet either John Taylor Johnston or Francis Collis because they died before he was born. If you have an adoption story like Adam, text me a voice memo like he did, and maybe we'll start the conversation that way. It can be totally anonymous. Or maybe I'm making too big a deal out of it. Send me a voice memo anyway. Let me know your thoughts. Tell me how I'm doing and what you'd like to hear more of. My cell phone number is 917. No, I'm not going to tell you my cell phone number. I won't say it here, but it's in every email that I've been sending the family. So it's easy to find. And of course, please click the link and RSVP to the Marble House meeting. The quicker we can confirm that more than 50 cousins want to come to the opening reception in the terrace room at the Met, the less likely it will be that some other group will have snapped up the larger patrons lounge. I am so excited about this project 
And I'm pretty sure that that excitement shines through like the flame from one of the gas lamps lit outside of Marble House in that beautiful photo taken by famous American photographer Berenice Abbott in about 1930. By the way, I still have some of those postcards, and I'd be happy to send you one. Please follow me on Instagram at Relative Strangers Podcast, where I try, in general, to be a little less dramatic, and where currently you can see a beautiful antique photo of the Metropolitan Museum in 1902, what it looks like now with the Egyptian wing in front of it, and pictures of both the Terrace Room and the Patron's Lounge, where I hope to see you, cousin next June.